great to have you here. Welcome to the podcast with me and my guests from around the world. Welcome to the Simon Filer podcast. Welcome to this podcast. Let's get into it, shall we? On the Simon Filer podcast. I am very fortunate to be chatting with Renee Dubois, who recently recorded her audiobook Curses of Verses with me, which is an absolute ride. Prose written from the time Renee had a traumatic head injury, I guess in notes to begin with, when she was a teenager, but we'll hear it straight from Renee. Tell us, Renee, how did you get your head injury and how old were you? Well, I had a head injury at 16 when I was a passenger in a motor vehicle accident down the Gold Coast. It was a head-on collision with a Sequeb truck on a narrow road. I was actually airlifted to the hospital while unconscious. Oh, you poor thing. Mm, Yeah, it was interesting. So what was life like before that head injury? It's hard to remember because I lost a lot of memory and got a mild case of amnesia in the accident. I was a very sheltered, had a very sheltered Christian upbringing and things changed somewhat after the car accident. Right. So how long were you in your coma for? Just a few days, maybe a week. Was it an induced coma or you actually... Yes, it was an induced coma. Right. And so when they pulled you out... Do you remember how how you felt after that? I don't remember much at all. I don't. I have um, a couple of hazy memories from being in hospital, very little at all. In fact, my memory still hasn't come back. Um, <laughs> I have very poor memory. Did they say what happened, you know, with your traumatic brain injury? Like what would be the problems after you came out of your coma? Um, At the time, I was given no aftercare. They really didn't even tell me that I had a traumatic brain injury. I didn't find out that I had a brain injury until some years later when I was going for compensation. It was a lawyer who came to my parents and said, Renee may have suffered some physical injury that we might be able to get some compensation for. And that's when I went and got some medical help. So it was through that channel that I actually started to receive medical uh, diagnoses and then it was some years after that before I actually received some medical help and got diagnosed with the actual conditions so the accident happened in 91 um, it was about 95 before I got diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury uh, and it was about 98 before I actually started getting treated wow so you had such a long time without treatment So when you came out of your coma, because you did mention in your book, or we've had a chat, you said you felt like a different person after that accident. Yeah, as soon as I re-entered high school after leaving hospital, whatever, I was grabbing my friends by the arm and saying, I've I've got a new personality and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it. That's empowering, I guess. It was, yeah. So can you describe those feelings? Um. It was very daring, very um, exciting feeling, very daring feeling. I could just take on the world and nobody could stop me mm. from what, doing what I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, some of the um, moral structure and framework that I'd uh, grown up with. Um, I mean, I was already, a lot of that Christian ideology that I'd brought, been brought up with was on its way out before the accident anyway. Now it was definitely on the way (laughs) definitely gone it was cut (laughs) yeah 
Okay, so did it change your relationship with your parents? Obviously, they they brought the Christianity into the family, I guess. Yeah, there there was a definite problem there with my parents. Right. Yeah, there was um, a lot of arguments. Yeah, mm. my my parents had a difficult time dealing with the new me. They had just seen me in hospital, beaten up and with black and blue bruises from the seatbelt and, you know, my arms in casts from being broken. That was another thing I had. Wow. And, uh, you know, I had a surgery on my arm to get plates in my arm. And so they had seen me in the ICU and all of that. And then only three months later, I'm carrying on and, and, and sleeping around and going to nightclubs and trying things that, that they would never have tried in their life ever. Mm. <laughs> so it's very difficult for them. So did they, like you were saying before you had the um, head injury beforehand, were you a rebel beforehand? No. Right. So it really did change your personality and I guess changed your relationship with your family then in a big way. Yes. So curses of verses, you said, did you start jotting down your notes for your initial poetry Right after your brain trauma? Yeah, pretty much. I got a job, um, a full-time job, within about three months of the car accident, and it was within the months of during that time that I started jotting down notes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the first couple of poems, the first poem ever in the book, Ode, uh, which is a coffee shop poem, uh, that was written while I was working in my first job uh, since the accident, yeah. So did you, how did you keep it all? Did you have a particular notebook that you put it all in or it was all over the place? On it was <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> okay, okay. So you um, left school then, obviously, after your injury and got a job. Yes, that's right. So what grade were you in? Year 11. Okay. Yeah. Did you have in mind before the head injury to go on to grade 12? Was there... Yes, I did. Um... I, I did well in school up until year 10, but I never studied. I was just pretty smart, I guess. But then in year 11 and 12, I didn't do so well because you actually have to study in year 11 and 12. Yeah. And um, and I just didn't. So um, I, I had to repeat year 11 because I had just failed it completely. Yeah. And it was in the second year of year 11 that I had the, year, had the car accident. Gotcha. And I had still not been studying in that year either. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no, yeah, there was no chance I was going to complete senior. <laughs> Excellent. So, did you like your first job? What was it? Uh, it was a retail job selling shoes at uh, at a shoe store in in the Maya Centre. Okay. So, where from there? Because you have de definitely had a colourful life, <laughs> and you've been through some daring situations, like one hell of a ride situation. So there is a particular poem, I can't remember the title of it, where I was like, what? When you said in the car, I'm going to Sydney now to be a hoe. Yeah. Was that a conscious decision that you made? Oh, yeah. Right. Tell us how that came about. Um, oh, well, I think I just took the day off work and my boyfriend who had the car, he was um, at work too. Because <laughs> you took his car. <laughs> and I took his car. <laughs> You won't be needing this anymore. Yeah. I think I, because I think I've just been paid from this job and um, it was a fortnightly pay and it was a good job. So it was a good pay. Right. <laughs> and I remember ringing them and they say, if you want to take a day off work, tell them you've got gastro. So I told them I had gastro. Right. <laughs> they didn't want to know anymore. <laughs> That's funny. And so what about the boyfriend then? Did you just call him en route? The funny thing about that boyfriend was um, 
you know, he gave me a fantastic diamond ring. It was the most beautiful diamond ring. And proposed? He proposed, yeah. We, yeah. And, you know, after we broke up, he went on and became a psych nurse. Going places. In a different world, he would have been a good catch. He is a good catch. Do you feel like you, you made a mistake there that you could have? No, no, no. no just, just maybe not for me, but, but what a good man. Okay, so you took his car and you basically said, I got gastro, and then you're in the car and just decided. Just go, yeah. <laughs> and I picked up a couple of guys at Byron and they helped me drive down and. We had to stop somewhere and get brake pads. <laughs> <laughs> From going too fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I went down to Sydney and I, a friend of mine was down there. He had a, um, he was staying at a house in Newtown. So I stayed there. And um, Can I ask you what you got up to in Sydney? Oh, not a lot. As, I, as it says in the book, there was a parlour that was fairly new, really beautiful parlour. But I mean... I went on a double with this girl, um, with these two high rollers. And can I tell you this story? Yeah, please do. Okay. Uh, and we went to the casino and um, we went, you know, we went out to the high rollers restaurant. You know, we had a meal and that was nice. And we went into the high rollers um, you know, the, for, the, for the high rollers. So know. this is where they got a lot of money and yeah, they yeah. a lot of yeah. money. <laughs> and me and the other girl are just, you know, we've been paid, we've been paid for, I don't know, six hours or something. So we, we spent that amount of time with him and then at that point that the time was up and I said to the other girl and I said we've been paid up until now really you know they're throwing a lot of money around but but we mm. ought to be paid now yeah. and we said as much and they're like oh no we'll, we'll pay you at the end of the night you know out of our winnings and we're like what? well <laughs> you know you might be professional gamblers but what if you don't win you know <laughs> and um they got kicked out of the high rollers room for being too rambunctious. And so they sent these guys down to the normal casino part and we're wandering around and they just couldn't believe it. And they let me play, my, my dude let me play a bit of blackjack and I won a little bit of money, which was nice. Anyway, finally we get a call, the casino people let this guy use the phone and and because this is in the early 90s back in, yeah, yeah yeah back before the phones were a permanent attachment yes. to our hands <laughs> anyway it turns out this these casino dudes or this casino has received a phone call from a casino in the states saying let these guys go back up into the high rollers room really and these guys did and wow. so we went back up into the high rollers room but it was after that that we said Hang on a second. You've paid us for our time. We need to be paid for the rest for the rest of the night now. And they, they didn't come forth, so we um, we left. And uh, and then the next night they called us back for another night. Right. So did you go back up into the room? The high we did room? go back up into the room. We right. did. They did let us back up. So well, that would have been a lot of fun being up in the the high roller area. It was. Yeah. And it was it was it was just so funny that um, this this casino from Florida had rung up the Sydney casino to get these guys back. Let back in. Were they American? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I told that story very well. No, you told that story great. That sounds like fun. I mean, that's one fun as aspect, I guess, of your of your job. Are you still in that industry? I don't know. Right, right. I've got to lose weight, but I want to get back into it. Right. The amazing thing about Renee's book is that she has captured all of her stories in prose, and it does take you on such a journey 
from back in the day, I guess, when you had your head trauma, the change of personality, going down that road to Sydney, hanging out with the high rollers you've just described. Did you meet some crazy people, some out there people doing what you you did? I think I'm the crazy out there person. <laughs> I think I, I I got some some looks from people, some, some wide eyes from, from some of my clients when they deal with me. They, they're not used to someone who's quite so comfortable in the industry as I was. <laughs> mm. You said you weren't in Sydney that long. How did you end up, like, winding that up and coming back to Brisbane? I don't know. Mm. It was a... I needed to be in Brisbane for the medico legals. Did your parents have anything to do oh, with bringing you back? Yes. Do you think they instigated it? Yes. So were they aware of what was going on? Yes, but they're very moralistic and judgmental. Right. So do you have a relationship with them? It's difficult. Do you know why? We're very different people. And um, the fact remains is that I have the opinion and I'm of my morals uh, are such that I think that the industry is okay and that using certain drugs, you know, or, or that or the, the drug world is, is a part of the real world and that the sex industry is part of the real world and my parents are not of the same world that I inhabit. More closed-minded maybe. Yeah. Everyone's different, isn't it? Yeah. It's just very hard when I guess um, within your family things, you know, don't always go along the right path that they should where you can remain friends and open. And I guess it'd be hard for your parents because being a parent myself, I would, not that I would expect that my children would do certain things, but you always hope that your children are going to go down the right path. But I would think that the right path is what makes them happy. So how happy were you working in that industry? I am so happy when I work in the sex industry. I am a businesswoman. I am a boss. I am loved. I am empowered. I am, you know, it's it's like that line of things that God has given me just for being alive, you know. That's cool. <laughs> so why then would you say, no, I'm not going to go back to that industry? That's unless you make an absolute killing from your book. Well, that's right. <laughs> so it documents the journey from your head injury right up to basically when you came back. Your last couple of poems are amazing. They really made me feel like you're free. You'd come to terms with your accident. You came to terms with your head injury. And also you came to terms with yourself and what you were doing. Yes. So when did you write those last few poems? Um, just in the last couple of years, um, within the last, uh, since I've been living in, the, in my current house. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good, good couple of years. Are you still on speaking terms with your parents? I am. It's been very difficult of late because my father's been managing my finances. Right. And is he doing a good job? No. <laughs> is he going to be listening to this? <laughs> All right, but do you think he has your best interest at heart doing it or no? I think he thinks he does, yeah. Okay. So have you got the power to say, look, I don't want you doing this for me? Oh, uh, he's, uh, he, that's already been, that's been taken care of. Right. He's no longer doing that job. Right. But have you got siblings? I have an older brother. He's, I'm practically an only child. We're very separate. And your mum? Uh, yeah, I have, yeah, my mum and dad are together, yeah. Right, so you don't see them that often? 
I don't. I don't see them very rarely. No. Mm. Are you with a partner or? Ah, uh, yeah. I'm. I have a boyfriend. Yeah. Okay, now, well, what about Curses of Verses? Let's go to that. How did you decide Curses of Verses was going to be a book? I'm going to write this. Um, I don't know. It just made sense because I'd write poem, poems and I I was writing around the, about the things that were around me and, and my feelings about them and, and it was just coming out in like a diary entry and uh, and so I, put it, I was putting it together like a... Like that, and uh, and it came together as a book. I, I, I did someone say to you, "Do you should put this in a book," or did you think this is going to make a good book, and I'm going to pursue this? No, I think it just came together like osmosis. And so then, once you'd got it all together and the order that you wanted to have it in, how did you go about on your publishing journey? Well, that was interesting because the publisher was like, you know, I had I had an order that I wanted it to be in, and then the publisher came back and said. Oh, you know, have to watch out for this, have to watch out for libel, have to watch out for these couple of things. And so I took out a couple of um, poems and uh, changed a couple of things and put in a few more poems. Like a lot of those sex industry poems, they were never in there to start with. Right. I put all of those sex industry poems in there. They were never in there. Originally the book was about the relationship between me and Jeffy, um, and, and that's all. And so all of those sex industry poems, I've writ- I'd written all of those, sure, but I- I'd never intended to put them in the Curses of Verses book. Right. But I've thrown them in, and and then I was like a bit um, concerned that I'd not put them in in a way that told a a, a story. I thought they'd just just been thrown on, like hey, random or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, <That'll> do. <laughs> yeah. But I've I've reread it, and I think it does. I think it does work. It absolutely works, and particularly in audio with you reading it. Okay. It's very cool. I love it. I love <laughs> thanks, it. Thanks, thanks. How did you go about the process of choosing the publisher? Did you just go online and look? I was very lucky to find a publisher that um, was within my budget. And now it's up for everybody to read. It is, And yes. you've just shown me the hard copy. It looks fantastic. Something else that's available is um, on my website, www.cursesofverses.com. Um, I'm also selling my paintings. Um, mm. So the the painting that's on the cover of the book is one of mine. Yeah, it's right. And good. I've also got some other paintings that I'm selling as prints oh. and I hope to sell them on T-shirts and hoodies and mugs and nice. other merchandise. Well, that's a surprise for me. I didn't know you had your website. So www.cursesofverses.com, yeah? Mm-hmm. I'll be checking that out straight after this. How else can people contact you? Facebook.com slash cursesofverses. And your audio book should be up any moment now. Yeah. In time for Christmas. Yes, well, that'd be great. Have you got a, like a target audience in mind that you think would really enjoy listening to it? I, th- I definitely think this is um twenties to fifties age group people who are interested in um oh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I reckon, <laughs> and and also um people who have an interest in um mental health, traumatic brain injury, um people who um uh have uh, mental health support uh, background. Yeah, hmm. I'd say from what I've seen of you and heard and worked with you and heard of your stories that. You've obviously come a long way and conquered a lot of the mental health issues that you had probably along the way. Obviously, you've published a book. You've written a book, firstly. You've published it. 
you've done the audio, so obviously you you're quite together. How how would you think? I hope so. <laughs> well, congratulations! You've done an amazing job. Thank you. I'm really proud of you, and I've only known you for a little while, so thank you. And I think anybody that reads the story will absolutely love it. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. And my guests from around the world. Thank you for being a part of this show. The Simon Filer Podcast. Catch you next time. It's a wrap. 